Hello, everyone, and welcome to Seek Search. I'm your host, John Bingham, and I'm grateful for our time together. Thank you so much for listening. In our previous episodes, one of the main background passages that we've been talking about has been Psalm 19. And we've been making an appeal that we need to seek God and search the scriptures. And Psalm 19 really uh, fits that description perfectly. The first part of the psalm talks about how it is rational for us to recognize that God exists so that we should seek him. And then in the middle of the psalm, it switches to talking about God's Word and how there is value in God's Word and how valuable God's Word is um, for us to be warned by it. And also, whenever we're seeking God, we can have great reward and the assurance of that. Well, from that background... I wanted to invite in a special guest for today. I'm glad to not be going it alone here today. I have with me Ryan Cummings, who is a preacher here in the Louisville area. And I asked him to come and uh, join with us in order to kind of branch off of those initial discussions that we've had and talk about uh, challenges that we have in our culture today relative to these ideas. And so, Ryan, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, John. It's good to be with you. Yes, it's great to have you. If you would, just uh, spend a couple of minutes, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So I grew up in Bowling Green and born and raised in Bowling Green. I did college, my undergraduate Florida College. I went to, back to Western, went back home for my master's, and then did my graduate training at Purdue University. I've been in Louisville now for about four years. Most importantly, I'm married to the most beautiful girl in the world, Jessica, and have three great kids, um, a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Brooklyn, and twin boys who are about six months old. Twins. Yes. Six months old. Yes. Everything's going well? We sleep through the night. No. Whoa. <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Not yet. Well, <laughs> Which we, we did. Not yet. Sleep sometimes yes. during the night. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Exactly. Well, that's great. Well, thank you very much for uh, stepping into the studio here with me and uh, us being able to talk through some things, even though things are very busy on the home front. Absolutely. So. It's good to take time for this. That is great. That is great. Um, well, I really want to pick your brain a lot as far as um, what your thoughts are. You've heard a couple of the episodes that we've done and uh, some of the background. And I reached out to you because there was a lesson that uh, you did for our congregation a little while back on postmodernism, and we'll get into the definition of everything there. And it seemed like it really was the next logical step in the discussion from, from where we've gotten started with Seek Search. So... Um, where do you want to start? How, how would you like to launch as far as some of that thought process? Is yeah, concerned? so reflecting on the first few episodes, mm-hmm. it's been obvious from Psalm 19, from Romans 1, uh, from 1 Corinthians, that yes, it is rational to not only seek God, but also to search for Him. I'm 29 years old, mm-hmm. and so my perspective is probably a bit different here. I am a self-identified millennial, Uh-oh. and whatever, <laughs> exactly right. Um, but, but especially when I was in graduate school, I came to realize that there are many different forces in our culture that are driving people away, not only from God but also from the search from God. And so I think before we can even begin talking, especially to my generation right. and the generation even below me 
about whether to seek God and whether to search for God, we first have to understand some of the undercurrents of our culture and really understand the waters that we live in and perhaps even the air that we breathe in our culture to understand why so many are viewing the quest for God not only as rash as irrational but perhaps even more so as irrelevant. I see. Well, and so with that, let's go into the definition of postmodernism so that we'd have an idea of what you have been seeing, what you were seeing, whether it was in school or in other circumstances with the millennial generation and beyond. Uh, what do you mean by postmodernism, and what's that look like in our culture? Sure. So this is a big philosophical term that has great, I think, practical implications to it. So let's just understand where we are as a culture. Your generation, John, and the one before you... And, and I'm 50 years old, so that'll go. tell you what generation I am, So I that generation grew up with very different concerns about belief in God and the truthfulness of the Bible. Um, it was more what you'd call modernism. So the hot topics such as evolution and is God really the true God? Is the Bible historical? Is Jesus real? Those were the questions that were probably the hotbed issues when you were going through That's college right. and as you were growing up. Those aren't the questions that my generation are asking. My generation and the one below me is asking, if God is good, why does he have so many stringent concerns about sexual ethics? If the God of the Bible is the real God, what do you say about all of these other religions out there? If the God of the Bible is real, how can he claim that you only come to him through Jesus? And all of them come back to a similar concern of exclusivity. Right. What I mean by that is there are certain exclusive claims that the Bible makes that then rules out all others. Postmodernism is the exact antithesis, the exact opposite of this. What postmodernism argues is that there is no truth. No truth. Right. Okay. If there's no truth, you then create your own meaning. Let me give an example here. When it comes to gender, someone from a modernist mindset is going to say, yeah, there's two genders. There's two genders. You assign it at birth. Well, it's now becoming much more popular to say, no, there are not these predetermined genders. Right. There's no truth. Well, if there's no truth about gender, what then happens? From your circumstances, from your experiences, from your social interactions, gender is then socially constructed. It's created. You create your own definition of truth, which may, well, it will be coming in conflict with other people's definitions of truth. Exactly. But everybody gets to have their own definition of what they want. Exactly. And then from my culture's perspective, and especially the perspective of my generation, the only sin is going to be exclusivity, <laughs> which... Having standards. Exactly. Take us back to, to conversations you've been having from Psalm 19 and Romans 1, etc. If you are trying to seek the living God, if you are trying to seek the God of truth, if you are trying to seek the Son of God who claims to be the way, the truth, well, you're going to have to deal with these questions of exclusivity and socially constructed meaning and everything else that postmodernism argues. So here's, I think, what we have to recognize is as you talk to someone who's younger, and perhaps those older as well, this is not just a generational difference, but I think the generations highlight many of these things. It's coming back and seeing, before we can even ask, is it rational to seek God? 
we first have to ask some questions about truth and rationality itself and the exclusivity of God and all of the different issues that are involved in that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. What comes to mind, though, is, you know, there really is nothing new under the sun. Not at all. And there are societal changes from from time to time, generation to generation, where we've seen this before. We've seen this before in Scripture. What comes to mind is in Judges, where yes. the period of the Judges, where they were turning away and not seeking the one true God in full form, but instead were being influenced by um, the nations around. Right. And as a result, the description a couple of places is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. And that that phrase right there just popped in my head as you were talking. It does. And, and it's interesting as you look at that phrase. The book of Judges, of course, comes right after the book of Joshua. Joshua was the new Moses leader who led Israel into the land. Moses, I think, had clearly sung to Joshua, listen to what God has says. Right. Listen to what God has said. You then contrast that to judges, they did what was right in their own sight. A great example here, right? Before I'm able to listen to the scriptures, before I'm able to listen to the living God, I first have to come to some realizations about my own experience, about my own wisdom, about my own truth claims, etc. And here's where we are. Let's say everything full circle. If I'm going to seek the living God, if I'm going to search his scriptures, I have to come to some understandings that, no, I can't figure out what's right in my own eyes. I need a God who is the truth, who is the way, who's going to speak to me these things, and then sort out some of these things. But that, of course, is very non-kosher to our postmodern culture. (laughs) That's right. Because the God of our culture is not what you hear, it's what you see in your own eyes, and then what you determine is right and wrong from your own experience. Right. Your own own interpretation of, of that for whatever you want in order to feel comfortable in your own lifestyle, in your own skin, in anything that you want to do. Absolutely. You can define that in that way. Uh, It it goes back to, well, you said um, that the only thing that's now a sin is exclusivity, is having those standards or or whatnot. And Romans 1, I'm going to try to flip over to that uh, pretty quickly, when... We were looking at that before. What we need to recognize is that that is a suppression of the truth. Yes. And so we'll not get into the rest of Romans 1 right now, but verse 18 warns, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Yes. And so that's the real battle that's going on is um, it, nothing new under the sun. It's being described back in the first century, but we're back in that battle right now. It is. It is. And if, and if I can expound on that verse just for a moment, it's fascinating as you look at Romans 1, 18, the wrath of God is now revealed. You contrast that with the verse right before that, the righteousness of God is now revealed. In Isaiah 59, the prophet Isaiah, who lived in a time where men did what was right in their own eyes, and idolatry was rampant, and sexuality was of every flavor, Isaiah promised there is coming a time when righteousness and justice will no longer stand in a corner, but they are going to be revealed from heaven. I think what Paul is saying is the righteousness of God is revealed, but this is the problem. 
if the wrath of God is revealed against every form of ungodliness, and we now suppress the truth from our ungodliness, how can we as Christians in our day reveal the righteousness of God? Let me give a personal example here. When I was at Purdue, it was my third year there, RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, uh-huh. came, came through. I'm sure that's still fresh on the minds of many listeners. Um, you talk about a chaotic week of my life. <laughs> um, it was a Monday, I believe, that Governor Pence signed RIFRA into law. I can't remember the logistics of the day. But within 24 hours of RIFRA, which for those that for, for those that aren't familiar with the circumstance, it essentially argued that there would be religious freedom given to churches especially that didn't want to recognize new forms of sexual ethics, especially homosexuality, right. transgenderism, right. et cetera. Okay. Within twenty-four hours of that being on Governor Pence's desk, the Graduate Student Association, the Undergraduate Student Association, mm. the Faculty Association, right. the uh, Students Who Come on Thursday Association, the I mean, it was just like every type association anywhere on campus felt it was a moral obligation to speak against this. Wow. Now, I, I, my mind was blown at this yeah. because academia at its best is the search for truth. Right. Right. Uh, philosophy is the search for wisdom. That's what the very word means. <laughs> right. Whenever you're getting a, a doctor of philosophy, you literally are trying to be one who, who comes to love wisdom. Right. And it takes a quest. It takes a search. But here's the problem. The only people that were seen as outsiders, as sinners, were those that were making claims of exclusivity. Here's then my question. Okay. The claims that are in the scriptures exactly. themselves, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Here you have, I think, a clear example of a culture suppressing truth. Right. And you know that the wrath of God is being revealed against this. Right. How do we then demonstrate the righteousness of God to this world? This is the problem, right? That's right. That's right. Let me give you one uh, illustration of my own that sure. popped in my head because sure. of that as well. Um in the last uh, couple of years, uh, there ended up being this, uh, well, setting aside how positive or negative, uh, uh, positively or negatively we might view the Trump administration or whatnot like that, as a, as a reaction to the existence of President Trump a few years ago, the very next commencement speech that I ended up hearing uh, within the Indiana University system was totally focused on how uh, the, the value and virtue of truth and everything about it was how the university system was all about discovering truth and nurturing truth and upholding truth. And it was kind of, it, it was an odd thing because this university system culture where there is no definition of truth. Right. No standard. There is no standard. All of a sudden, he was talking about we are upholding and and seeking and bringing forth new knowledge of truth all the time, and that's what we pursue. So in a sense, it was refreshing because they wanted to go back to a truth standard. 
But I questioned in the back of my mind, so does that mean that biology classes are now going to recognize that life begins in the mm-hmm. womb? Mm-hmm. Are uh, our biology classes going to recognize the two genders? <laughs> All right. those types of things. Well, of course, that's not what they meant. But there's there's this struggle in their mind of um, they want to have this truth concept, and they they feel like their job is to bring about truth. But again, the truth that they're going to bring about in some of these realms is going to be a direct suppression of what is actually true. Yes. And so it, it was right there in start. And so for two straight years, that was the theme of the uh, graduation address. Yes. Was that uh, that expectation on their part, um, and yet what their definition of that was very different than what truth of the scriptures would reveal. It is. It's almost like you're living in the days of Alice in Wonderland, (laughs) where that which seems right is not, and that which is not real is real, right? Right. It's another example of this. Um, There is a Ivy League psychologist, Dr. Steven Pinker, and Dr. Pinker has come out with an incredible defense of the First Amendment right of freedom of speech. It was in a reaction to a lot of the safe spaces that came right. from the last five years. And Dr. Pinker argues very eloquently that, yes, academia needs to foster this environment of discourse and of exchange of ideas. Right. But this was the problem. In his quest for arguing for an open exchange of ideas, he also publishes a book called Enlightenment Now that argues that the only type argument that doesn't need to be on the table is the religious argument. Oh, wow. (laughs) Because that's mythical. It's suppressive. Look at all of the oppression and the evil and the wickedness that's come from that. Right. Um, That that then, I think, is is where we come to as those who follow behind Jesus. I'll speak very personally here, John. You know, when I was in grad school, it was almost as though the waves of our culture were overwhelming. Because you see all of these smart people and these important people, and you feel like you are the only voice left to speak a level of truth. Right. What do you do about this? For me, it took me a few years to come to realize biblically how to deal with this, but I was brought to the prophet Elijah. Mm -hmm. And I'd actually like to offer a few thoughts from the life of Elijah about how I think Elijah equips us to be able to answer and even live in the crazy chaos of our postmodern times. Okay, that's great. That's great. And so let's dive into that next. Sure. I'm going to pause for a moment just simply to um, give a little bit more information by introduction and then we can uh, launch into the discussion of Elijah, but we'll continue this into the next uh, program as well and, uh, and keep the conversation going over multiple programs here. So um, let me just step back for a second because this is a pause point. Introduce yourself a little bit more as far as the congregation that you work with, and uh, if people wanted to reach out to you, how could they uh, reach out to you for more conversation? Sure, sure. So I am an evangelist uh, minister at the Manslick Road Church of Christ in the Okalona area of Louisville. We are right off the Gene Snyder at the Preston Highway exit. Um, My family and I have been blessed to be with this congregation for about four years now. Um, If someone wants to get in contact, 
contact with me after this, our website, manslakechurchofchrist.com. Again, that's manslakechurchofchrist.com is going to be the best way to reach me. All my contact information is on there. And I'd love to further the conversation that we're having here with others who are intrigued by it. That sounds great. That sounds great. Dive into Elijah. Let's get an introduction to uh, the discussion on Elijah. And this is going to tease the opportunity for our next discussion the following uh, the following week whenever we come out with the next episode. So dive in and, and let's start this conversation about Elijah. Sure. So to give, it, to give I guess, a, pre- a preface to where we are, it's very easy, I think, to, to recognize the problems of our culture and to want to pull our hair out at so much of the craziness that we see. The hard part's to give an answer to that. You know, 1 Peter 3.15, a favorite verse of apologists, always be ready to give an answer, a defense for the hope that is in you, an, an, right. an, an, apologia, an apologetic for the hope that's in you. Right. What I would like to do, and especially in the next episode, I'll, I'll try to give more solution than problem, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is I would like to show how Elijah equips us as 21st century saints to answer the, the craziness that the postmodern culture gives us. Let me give just about a two-minute overview of that story, and we'll go in more depth in, in the next one. Sounds great. The prophet Elijah lived during the times of King Ahab, and Ahab was the wickedest of the wicked of the kings of Israel, and they had some pretty bad ones. Ahab's major downfall came from his marriage to Jezebel, and she then brought in dozens of false gods to the culture of Israel. The chief among them were Baal and Asherah. Many times throughout scripture, you see Baal popping up his ugly head into the history of God's holy people. God is intolerant and and he's indignant at what his holy people are doing. So he sends the prophet Elijah to go and speak to King Ahab. Ahab despises Elijah. Elijah eventually says, fine, you want to continue in idolatry? We'll, We'll send will send a drought. For three and a half years, there was a drought on Israel. No rain at all because wow. of the yeah. preaching of Elijah. That's right. After this three and a half years, Elijah and Ahab meet again. And Elijah is going to tell the king, fine, you, you want to have it out? Let's have it out. L- let's have your gods versus my God. Right. All of your gods and all of your prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, let them come and we'll go to contest and let's see who can call down fire from heaven. Well, spoiler alert, Elijah wins. (laughs) The prophets of Baal cut themselves and cry out and call all night long that their gods will answer. Baal never comes to answer. The irony of it is Baal was the ancient god of thunderstorms. If there was any god that should have been able to send down lightning from heaven, it was the god of thunderstorms. He's silent. Right. He answers not a word. Of course. Elijah calls the Lord Yahweh, Jehovah God, hear my call, send down fire. Elijah's somewhat of a show-off because he wets, he, he not only wets, but he drenches the offering in water. And the whole thing is then, it's, it, it's, fire comes down and eats up the whole thing. Right, right. And, and, and one quick thing with that, it strikes me that how valuable is water at that time? Oh, yes. Uh, you know, oh, yes. For, for him to drench, that's just pouring insult upon injury as far as, 
water is nowhere to be found, no. and yet they they bring it into this circumstance. Just another little detail. Yeah, I mean, that you think back. Me. We're speaking in in March of 2020. Back in July and August of last year of 19, it was dry. I mean, we right. went about 31 days without water. Right. And you think that went on for three and a half years? Oh, cannot imagine the desperation right. that had to be in Ahab's voice. Right. Well. Here's, I think, in that story what Elijah teaches us. Elijah could have easily gone into many different conflicts with the prophets of Baal, but here's how he won. He showed Baal as powerless next to the Lord. That, I think, is the key for us engaging our culture. If we are going to be ones who not only seek and search God, but also who overcome the barriers of our culture, we have to be able to show Baal in all of the false gods of our culture, in all of the false claims of our culture, is powerless wow. next to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. That's right. And uh, it, it brings to mind um, the power of God is in the gospel. Amen. And so right before we see this discussion of righteousness versus unrighteousness and the suppression of truth in Romans 1, 18, well, I'm not ashamed of the power of God, of the gospel. Yes. And uh, so that is the lead-in right before getting into that discussion right there in Romans 1. It's not our own power, but it's God's power that's going to win. That's right. That's right. So we need to point to that. Amen. And that's what we're going to point to as we get into our next discussion. I hope that you'll be able to join us for that discussion next week. Thank you for joining me right now, and we look forward to the continuing discussion. That does wrap up our time for today. May we seek God and seek his things and seek his ways by searching the scriptures. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it was a blessing for you. You have been listening to Seek Search. I'm your host, John Bingham. You can contact me by emailing seeksearch at yahoo.com. On Facebook, get connected by liking the Seek Search page. I hope you'll join me each Saturday at noon for the next edition of Seek Search.